Welcome back to Here's the Deal. I am your host, Kylie Larson, and today I am talking to Jordan Lips of Jordan Lips Fitness. I initially asked Jordan to come on to the show so he could talk to us about what is the most effective way to train in order for us to get the results that we want. So he gives us a really great lesson in progressive overload. And then he also explains to us how do classes like boot camp or your Orange Theory or F45 fit into that equation. And he asks a really great question that I want everyone to ponder, anyone who is like a group class junkie, that's going to help you you get the most bang for your buck out of the time that you have available. Now, in addition to that, we describe what is an effective workout and it does effective also equal hard. And then we move into my most favorite part of the conversation where we dive into reverse dieting and, you know, all of the emotional attachment that we have to certain physique goals that we have, the fear that we have of eating more, why we are afraid of that, and why are we so much more comfortable with restriction than we are with abundance. So what turned into a discussion about training or what started as a discussion just about training really turned into something so much more. I'm so grateful for Jordan's time. See you guys, listen to the podcast, and we'll talk to you soon. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome back to the show, everyone. I am talking to Jordan Lips of Jordan Lips Fitness today, and we're going to cover a lot of things, but I think specifically we're going to dive into training, uh, like strength training, and then also this magical land of maintenance. And as that comes out of my mouth, I'm like, yes, the magical land of maintenance. So before we dive in, Jordan, uh, could you just give us a little bit about your background and what you do now? Sure. I'm a, I'm an online coach. I started as a personal trainer for coming out of college for about eight years. Then I owned a gym for a tiny hot second, hated it and uh, decided I wanted to do a lot more on the coaching side of things. And then obviously COVID kind of put things into a disarray there. And so I moved my entire business online and moved into coaching. I'm certified through N1 as an online coach and a certified nutritionist through Mac nutrition, uh, two things, two different things. One that's very training heavy, one that's very nutrition heavy. And it, it does kind of shape the style of coaching that I do like to do. Obviously we're going to talk about training and strength training or hypertrophy or whatever, any of this resistance training topic, something I'm definitely very passionate about, but also the nutrition side of things from, you know, relationship with food to fat loss, to muscle gain, to biomarkers and, and, and other like more health-based pursuits for sure. Well, I love that you have um, like both because oftentimes someone's a really great trainer and that's a skill set in and of itself. And then you have your straight up nutrition coaches who like know about strength training, but the fact that you have both of those backgrounds, that really makes you a valuable asset. Someone that you really want in your corner. (laughs) That's nice of you to say. That's the idea. Hopefully. Yeah. Yeah. People need to understand that. I always talk about it in terms of hair Um, for females. Like there's people who specialize in cutting hair and then there's people who specialize in coloring hair and it's hard to find a combination. Anyway, so you owned a gym for a while. Oof. 
it was not good. Yeah, yeah. it was um, just like it's it is an interesting thing just from a career perspective. Like uh, I was a personal trainer for a long time and found a good success doing that and thought that the next step would be like a, a vertical move upward to own a gym and, and then have trainers underneath me and all this like uh, like subcontractors and stuff. And so I was doing a little bit of that. And then once we bought a space, it turned into a more of a lateral move, meaning that I was just doing a whole bunch of different work. It wasn't like I was making a whole bunch more money and, or I was, you know, I was way less passionate about payroll and onboarding new, new trainers and, you know, the marketing of the gym itself and, you know, setting prices. And I was really way less passionate about that. And it didn't have any, uh, wasn't scratching the itch of being a coach. And so it was very quick when I realized I was like this, it was like 2 a.m. one and I was like doing payroll or something and worrying about like the painters coming in the next day. I was like, this is just, this is not what I want to be spending my time on yet. Not what you signed up for. Yeah. So the reason I originally, I mean, I've been following Jordan for a while, but really what made me send a message and say, hey, can you talk to my community? Was this really good reel that you did? And you were showing a, a super ripped dude, right? Doing his hit workout okay. to a motivational speech, put to background music, which I love those things. But you were saying you don't have to do those workouts if you want to look like this. And I, I, I was like, yes. And people like they glorify these sweaty workouts. We are using the battle ropes and you're swinging the kettlebell. Again, I love all of these things. But I also know that they aren't going to get me towards my physique goals. So can you talk about that? Sure. I think that when we think of the type of I think it starts with an understanding that we all have a, a finite amount of time to allocate towards training. So we, we can't do it all from a time perspective. You also can't do it all from a physiological perspective, like doing, you know, if you're like, I run and I do CrossFit and I lift and I do powerlifting. Okay. You, you're not doing all of that stuff. You can't recover from all of it. So we have at least two barriers here. The big one for most people is time. Most people are capped out with the amount of time that they can allocate to training. So now you think, okay, I have a limited amount of time. What should I spend that time on? And then another way of phrasing that is like, why would I pick a certain type of training over another? And I think that it, there is multiple factors that go into that. The first would be, what do I enjoy doing in that moment? And I think that that's an important one. And it's one that we will talk about where that falls in the hierarchy of everything. But it, I want to start with it because I think it's important to set the scene that I believe that that's very important. You should, at the very least, not, not enjoy what you're doing. You should not hate what you're doing. And so there's an element of like, do I enjoy this in the moment while I'm doing it? That's relevant. You should ask that question. I would say that it's not the most important thing or the only important thing or that you need to absolutely love it 24-7, but you should at least genuinely like it. I personally don't love running. I don't run. And so I'll find other ways to get those sorts of adaptations. So you ask yourself, what do I like doing? Mm -hmm. Then you ask yourself, what sort of results do I want? And you might find that those two things are somewhat at odds. Um, and you, know, you might say, well, I'd like to grow I'd like to look a certain way. I'd like to, this person's physique. I'd like to get stronger. I want to be physically stronger. I want to build, you know, strong bones and be like, quote, functional. And I always say, I'd really like to be the, the really strong grandpa and all this stuff. Those are things that are important to me. And so those are things I want. I have results that I want. And I have this other thing of like this emotional attachment to exercise stuff that I find fun. Mm -hmm. And sometimes those two things are at odds. And a lot of times they're at odds in the, you know, group fitness community. Now I've, Group fitness is great, by the way. I love a lot about group fitness. I think it is an introduction to people who've never lifted a weight, um, maybe an exercise in general, who are like, oh, I'm you know, intimidated with the weight room, or I just don't know where to begin. And this group fitness class allows me to get my foot in the door and get healthy and get, get moving. Jeez, like that is the baseline. And so I'm a big fan of that. 
Um, and a lot of people enjoy it. And so it, it feeds that emotional component. But there does come a point where it's like, well, we have to think about the results that you're getting from an exercise, an exercise modality. And I just want, I think some of the things that I do as a coach is kind of peel back that, that be a little bit transparent about like, what are the things you're doing? What are the results that you'll get? And one of the things that I like to say is that like the results that you get from exercise is fun. And so when you think about fun, I want you guys to also think about what am I getting from this um, exercise modality? And so that reel that you're discussing was like some dude who's like doing this crazy hit workout claiming that he's going to lose a bunch of fat and that was going to be how you get ripped. Mm -hmm. I think a big disconnect for people is just understanding what sorts of training yield what sorts of results. Mm -hmm. And once you know what sorts of training yield what sorts of results, then you get to decide what you like to do based on the balance of fun and the balance of the results. And my only job is to help you make an informed decision. So hopefully that's something that we'll go into today is like, what are some of those things that you get from certain types of exercise and how can I make a better informed decision on how to spend my finite limited amount of time that I can spend on training per week? I love your perspective on this. Um, so chances are though, people that are listening, if they're not already lifting weights, they know that they need to, um, but they they'll go to their orange theory class or their F45 or their boot camp, And they are moving, they are lifting weights, right? They've got the dumbbells and they're doing a squat to overhead press. And, but when, when you talk about strength training, that's not necessarily the type of strength training that you're referring to, Right. Correct. You're talking more about a progressive overload training program. How would you de describe a good strength training program? What's it called? What does it look like? Yeah, maybe it'd be helpful to, to, for me to discuss how it might differ from, let's say you're at F45 or something like that. Yeah. So to grow, uh, when you are new to any, every physiological adaptation that you can have in the body starts out with a really low threshold. And so, you know, if you've never hit a baseball before and you get a bat, you're going to get exponentially better in the first day. And then every time after that, it's going to take more and more work to get less and less growth from that thing. So let's say you're like, and people have heard like this term, like newbie gains. If you're new to lifting weights at all, then it doesn't take much for you to get that adaptation, for you to grow muscle, for you to see visible change, for you to get stronger, for you to get better conditioned. And so if you go to an F45 class, you get a lot of different adaptations. If you've never lifted before, you go to F45 for one year, you're going to rapidly change your body. You're going to get stronger. You're going to build muscle. But then it's going to kind of hit this lull of lack of changing your body. And a lot of people will, a lot of people hire me for one-on-one -on -one who have come from this sort of background will describe a story of this. Let's use Orange Theory as an example. I'm not picking on them. There's a bunch of that. And they'll say, well, I went to Orange Theory and I, I lost weight or I changed my physique. I got stronger. I felt better. I was healthier. Totally true. But it's been several years since I've felt that way and I haven't seen a lot of change. And, and the reason being is that threshold for what you need to build more, more muscle goes up. And so when you go to your F45 class, what you find is that there's a lot of cardiovascular demand. You're like sweating. Uh, you know, a lot of the exercises you're doing are under high amounts of fatigue. Your heart rate is up really high. And if we really want to grow muscle, we have to look at, well, if we want a certain adaptation, we have to look at what is the limiting factor. And so if you're in an F45 class, and you really need, and you're like, okay, I need a break. Well, why do you need a break? Nine, nine out of 10 times, it's because your heart rate is up super high and you're unable to continue from a conditioning perspective. Well, we like to say that whatever is the limiting factor is the thing that's being trained. Mm -hmm. And so if you want to, let's say, grow muscle or be stronger, then we really need to make specific muscle groups or whatever we're talking about, the limiting factor. And when you introduce a lot of cardio integrated with weights, 
you muddy the waters and you muddy the chance that you actually get a lot of let's the word hypertrophy meaning muscle growth because you're doing a lot of cardio on top of that and a lot of times what's happening is the thing that is limiting you is your ability to keep going because you're huffing and puffing so much and when we look at strength training we really we really want the target muscle to be the limiting factor the target muscle to be the limiting muscle um, and so if you're looking at designing a strength training program we want something where at the end of every set you put the bar down because the muscle that you're trying to work told you I couldn't do any more. Yeah. Um, and so that is a, a big difference. You know, if you're in your orange theory, I've done orange theory, I've done all of these classes. I'll tell you right now, I leave exhausted from a cardiovascular perspective. And I might even be re really, really sore um, in certain in certain areas, in certain specific muscles. I'm like, oh, I want to grow my legs and my legs are really sore. And so I build this association of like something good is happening. But you do need to think about what is the limiting factor. That's the thing that's being trained. And what's cool is when you're brand new to, to any resistance training, going and doing this class, everything is the limiting factor because you're new to everything. And so everything gets better. But eventually, you know, you have enough of these adaptations that you need to be a little bit more specific instead of, you know, I would consider, let's say, a 45, a very like kitchen sink workout mm -hmm. where the kitchen sink is great when you have you're new to everything and you can get adaptations from everything. But eventually you get enough of those adaptations. You get better at that. Um, that you really need to be a little bit more specific with what you're trying to do. So when you say progressive overload, what does that what does that look like? Is that four days a week, five days a week? How many? What's the split up? Yeah. So I would say that anywhere from three to five days will work. I don't think that that is the most meaningful thing. I think a lot of people, yes, we need to have that discussion first because there's going to come down to what can you do? Uh, what is your schedule like? What can we realistically do? How much time per day? Um, but I think the bigger thing for people to understand is to pick the same exercises and do the same program. So whatever you're splitting it up, if it's a three-day split or four-day split, you design your program. Um, and we can talk about whether I think the average person should really be trying to do this on their own. Um, but you will be doing the same program each week for a number of consecutive weeks with the goal of, quote, progressively overloading, which just means trying to do a little bit more each time. Mm -hmm. And that is one of the downsides of something like an Orange Theory or F45. The workouts aren't the same every time you come in. And on the fun side of things, that might be a thing where you're like, well, that, that's one of the fun things. Yeah. And on the lack of results side of things, that is a downside because you're not able to uh, work on the same things each time and give the type of stimulus you need repeatedly over week after week, getting better at things week over week that you would need for more optimal growing muscle and strength. And so there's a, again, these two things are a little at odds. And so you'd have to kind of reconcile those two things. I'm like, well, I really enjoy the kind of randomness and the turning my brain off and the, you know, just kind of putting the pedal down and working really hard at whatever I'm doing in that moment versus the little bit more methodical of like, I'm doing the same thing so that I can get better at that thing each week, which is probably going to be best for growing muscle. You and, you know, for anyone listening and you're like, oh, but I just can't stand doing the same workouts. That is where what you said a couple minutes ago, that's where you've, I personally have flipped my perspective. You talk about fun, getting stronger is fun. Like putting those little 2.5s on, that is like mega fun. I will always put a picture on my Instagram, like look what I did today. Like, and so it's just, you just have to understand your your definition of fun might change. How long are you, that, oh, go ahead. I was gonna say, I find that it often does actually. If you, huh. um, a lot of the people who are, who fall in love with you know, a, a group fitness class, they fall in love with the competition, the working hard, they're hard workers. These are people who like to work hard. And so if you can give them a, a vehicle of being able to see tangible progress for maybe the first time in a while where they're like, I've been grabbing the same weights for a while. And now you're giving them a, a progression scheme. You're giving them some direction in my group. 
one of the, not to shameless plug, but like what I'll do each week is I will write exactly how I want you to improve on the previous week. And so you're getting that, whether it's a dopamine hit or it's just a recognition, something tangible that you are getting better at something that actually becomes extremely fun and becomes something that when you lose that. So if you've been doing a more structured hypertrophy or structured resistance training program with this sort of like progression week to week for a while, when you lose that, it almost, it does feel like you're a little bit naked. You're like, I'm not really sure exactly what you're doing. And so this, this, I always say like falling in love with the micro progressions, like doing one more rep than you did last time, putting another two and a half on, you know, grabbing, moving up to the next set of dumbbells, like that stuff actually it represents the kind of results you want, but it also becomes the fun. The fun is the getting stronger. The fun is watching your, the numbers go up over time. And the fun is accepting that it doesn't happen overnight and that you're fighting for these small number uh, adjustments over time. Amen. Well, you know, you mentioned this working hard and that's something that I see clients struggle with. They'll go from, well, I just, I'm, I, I don't, am I working hard enough? You know, I'm resting in between these sets and I, I, I didn't get that sweaty. Like, can you speak to that? Like, just because you might be working hard and you know, you're panting and you were like dead, you can barely get to your car and you could leave the gym. Like I get back to work after <laughs> Can you yeah. talk about like that doesn't necessarily equate to an effective workout? Sure, sure. So it, it, at the end of each workout, my app will ask you, how hard was this workout? And I'll have a lot of people be like, well, what am I supposed to put? Because I don't really know what the word hard means. I'm not huffing and puffing. I'm not on the floor, crazy, sweaty, need to change my shirt, you know? And so this idea of hard becomes, you know, needs to take on a new definition. Mm -hmm. And it's an odd thing here. I think I don't want to be condescending with the word emotional, but there's a, there's a feeling of maybe it's a presumption that that is how we lose weight, or that is how we get lean, or that's how we get toned. Uh, some combination of a misunderstanding of exactly how we get toned or leaner or more defined or whatever, um, with also this emotional attachment of of that feeling being something that we independently yearn for. I actually find it interesting of like, why is that, why has that risen to the definition of, you know, uh, what a good workout would be? Why do I need to be exhausted? Um, and I think it comes, I think it, a, a good thing, well, the best thing I can give you is just the information that says, listen, if we're trying to, let's say you're trying to build muscle and strength, then we need independently those muscles to be the limiting factor. We need each individual set to be hard in a very local setting. And so when you look at an orange theory class, it's hard in a global setting, meaning everything on your body, all the muscles, all the systems, your cardiovascular, you're sweating, your, your heart rate's super high, and there's a lot going on. And so you end that workout really tired, but if I asked you what you worked, you would have a very ambiguous answer versus, you know, you finish a leg day uh, where maybe, first of all, PS, if anyone's listening to this and you are not huffing and puffing at the end of a heavy set of Bulgarian split squats or something, like, you ain't doing it right. And so there is some element of like, this is still going to happen. You're still going to get that feedback of like, of like training hard, you know, I'm sweating, I'm out of breath, totally. Um, but again, the thing that is the limiting factor is the thing that's being trained. And so if you're really yearning to be huffing and puffing, then you're really yearning for cardiovascular adaptations. If you're really yearning to grow your delts or your glutes, then you really are going to be yearning for doing sorts of training that's going to cause those muscles to be the limiting factor. Like whether you're huffing and puffing tells me nothing about the workout that you have. And, and even soreness, if we're going to pivot into soreness, like yeah. even, even soreness, soreness is interesting because it actually is a helpful piece of data, but it is still just one piece of data. If I go run a marathon right now, <laughs> I'm going to be sore for a month but zero hypertrophy has happened. Frankly, probably atrophy has happened. And yeah. so this idea of like, well, I'm sore. That means I'm 
building something, you know, I'm, I'm you know, hypertrophy, I'm growing muscle, I'm getting stronger, I've done something hard, and thus I'm moving in the direction I want to go. Doesn't really tell us a whole lot. If I do a spin class, my, my, my hip flexors and quads will be super sore for a very long time. That doesn't mean I got hypertrophy. Uh, it doesn't mean I grew muscle. It doesn't mean I got stronger. And so there's a little bit of a disconnect there between what is happening. Soreness has nothing to do with, it doesn't have directly to do with growing muscle. It has a lot to do with muscle damage. And it also has to do with novelty. And so if you do something that's new, um, then you're going to get really sore, but it doesn't actually tell me a whole lot about what you got about it. And so this emotional attachment to feeling exhausted, this emotional attachment to getting super sore, um, kind of diverts us from what would probably be best for resistance training. And that, that you, your experience is that takes a perspective change of shifting your focus away from how tired can I get in this workout to a little bit more of a myopic focus on, okay, I'm in this exercise, in this set, I'm trying to push myself to get this muscle to get close to failure. I'm trying to get close to failure on these movements, but not necessarily exhausted as a whole. Um, and sometimes you can leave the gym and, and uh, you know, there's a little bit of hate the word guilt, but you're, you're curious if this is the thing that you're doing. There's a, a bit of hesitation sometimes. Um, and that is why I would recommend working with a professional because if you don't have that sort of communication, then it, it can sometimes be tough to stick it out and actually stick with it long enough to see the benefits. You know, this, to me, it also brings up like a deeper conversation with the women that you and I work with in the age group. Um, I think a lot of us, I'll put myself in there because I've been there and well, if we're just so used to, we've been programmed and conditioned to work hard and you're supposed to be working hard and you are supposed to like be dead at the end. And I, that's whether it's a work day or, you know, you're just, you've been trained to go hard. And so when you're going hard in a different way, I just get it. You know, I just get it. We don't know what it means to like work yeah. smarter sometimes or more effectively. Uh, what you're talking about though, that limiting factor, I've never heard that. It makes so much sense. I'm glad it clicked. It clicked for me as well. Um, it clicked for me. If you start to, if somebody listening to this is going to go to their next session and think about what is the limiting factor, that's mm -hmm. the thing that you're getting better at in that moment. Mm -hmm. And if other things are tired, but not the limiting factor, chances are they're not getting a whole lot better. Mm -hmm. uh, and so it does kind of pose the question of needing to be a little bit more specific. I always find it funny. Like if you just ask somebody what they want out of their training, mm -hmm. usually they will give you some list of the results side of things. Um, I think that everybody needs to also factor in what they enjoy, but if most, most people, not everybody, not everybody needs to be, not, not everybody wants to be a physique competitor, a fitness model and nobody wants it. But most people, if you ask them what they want, they're like, I want to be fit and healthy. I want to look like I'm fit. I want to look like I put forth the type of time allocation towards my fitness that I do. Um, and the truth is it's because they're not actually making long lasting adaptations like muscle building would. Um, and most people are like, I want to look you know, toned is some I aggregate know. definition of, I don't want to have too much body fat and I want to have more muscle. But I think that this, this misunderstanding that, <laughs> that toned has some special training attached to it. Toned means if somebody's like, I want to be toned, they, they should be doing hypertrophy training. You yeah. need, you need to build muscle. The, there's a combination of the word toned, which means less fat and more muscle. Mm -hmm. And the less fat thing should have nothing to do with training. The more muscle thing should have everything to have to do with training. Mm -hmm. It shouldn't be trying to do them both at the same time. Okay. We, well, we must talk about this. <laughs> These two competing goals of building muscle, which is one set of goals from a nutrition standpoint and burning fats or you know, losing fat, which is another set of goal or, you know, different uh, priorities for your nutrition. 
Can you speak to that always one? <laughs> sure. I think that there's a, you know, when we talk about losing fat, you need a calorie deficit. Part of the calorie deficit is the calories that you burn. So this is like a logical train of thought of like, I need to lose fat. I need a calorie deficit. Part of being in a calorie deficit is burning more calories. That is a way to contribute to that equation. And so ipso facto, I'm going to go do this style of training over here that burns a lot of calories. Um, there's a, a couple of problems with that. One is you don't burn as many calories as you think in a, in a certain session, regardless of what splat points you get or it says on your watch. And right. so I'm not saying that they're totally wrong, right? I would Garmin as well. And so it's not that it's totally wrong. It's just, it's less likely. And it's also less than you think. Um, so step one is you're burning less calories than you think in your one hour workout, right? And so that it's way easier to eat back the amount of calories that you've burned. Like if, to work really hard to burn four or five, 600 calories in a workout is extremely easy to eat that back. Yeah. Um, there's also some element of the type of training that burns the most calories, also the type of training that, that has some sort of hunger response, the most hunger response. So high intensity cardio of all forms of exercise at this moment probably has the biggest hunger response. And so you're also kind of working against yourself there of like, I right, burned 600 calories, but I'm also ravenous. Um, and, and then we miss, yeah. So it's a twofold problem of at least twofold of you're burning less calories than you think. And it's way easier missing out on the way easier side of things, which is again, it's not easier. It's easier said than done, but the nutrition side of things is, is where we should be creating the bulk of this fat loss goal. Um, and I think there's also an underrated amount of calories that are just burned through active activity throughout the day. If we look at like the average breakdown of people's TDE across the day, like your workout comes out to like 10 to 15% of the calories you burn and your like non-exercise activity comes out to like, you know, 40 to 70% of the calories that you burn across the day. And so um, I would rather people prioritize the type of training that will build the muscle side of things. Cause most people don't just want to be a smaller version of their current self. They want to be some, some version of the word toned or defined or muscular, or I want to look like I lift, or I want to look fit. All of those things to me translate to you should be spending the limited amount of time that you have to train on the building muscle mm-hmm. and go for some walks, do some cardio that you enjoy and use your nutrition as a primary form of creating that deficit. Yeah. Nutrition. Uh, well, I just love that you also have that perspective and you also understand how the nutrition fits into things. What do you, this is just, I want to know your personal opinion on the goal of body recomposition. <laughs> like, are yes. you feel like one would be better off spending time in fat loss and in muscle building or? Sure. So just, I mean, body recomposition being, you know, this idea that we can eat at around maintenance calories and build muscle and burn fat at the same time, uh, staying relatively the same body weight and changing our quote composition to a lower body fat percentage potentially. Um, I think that it works if you're brand new to training, like we talked about. And so if there's, if you're very new to the training stimulus, then you can build muscle at maintenance calories really, really well. What I mean is you don't need as many raw materials to build muscle. The training stimulus is far beyond what you need to build muscle. And so you don't actually need a calorie surplus. You could, you could, we see that even people who are new to resistance training, build muscle in a deficit. Yeah. And so this goal of body recomposition, which technically is also happening in that scenario, um, but we're going to use the context of being at maintenance, I think is a very reasonable goal for people who have never spent time doing hypertrophy style training, which when I say it that way, actually lumps a whole lot of other people who have been working out for a long time. And so if I have a client who comes to me and it's like, you know, they want to get into more hypertrophy, they see the kind of stuff I'm talking about on Instagram with, okay, if you really want to change your body, let's do hypertrophy. And they're like, okay, I've been working out for a decade. 
but I'm, you know, I will ask when's the, when's the last time you did a structured hypertrophy style program This never is the answer inevitably. Um, and that person probably still has a decent amount of recomp a bit available to them. And so, you know, if you've never done hypertrophy style training, I would put you in that, in that bracket of like, of, you know, you can recomp fairly meaningfully. Um, but there definitely becomes a point where it becomes not practical. Uh, when I say practical, I mean, you know, you'd have to wait years to see meaningful change. And so it's, it's a spectrum from I'm new to training and I, and this is pretty practical. I can see really great changes to, you know, I've been doing this for five years. And if I really do want to see meaningful growth, then this, you know, anabolic stimulus of being in a calorie surplus is kind of necessary to really force your body to grow more muscle. Uh, but if you're new, honestly, I, man, th that's all cool, well, and good. But I think most people listening to this, most of my clients have more recomp in them than they think, because when is the last time you spent a year hitting, hitting enough protein, whether you're counting it or not, you know, consistently fueling your body with enough calories, whether you're counting them or not, and being in a hypertrophy program where you're doing the same stuff week in it, not the exact program for a year, of course not, right. but you know, you're doing mesocycles or, or blocks of training that are uh, um, for the goal of hypertrophy. The answer is probably never. And so if you combine the fact that there's probably a decent amount of change available to people with the fact that maintenance is your best life, probably. Um, I do like advocating for that in a lot of cases. And if we see after several months that um, somebody is ready for potentially doing something in, in either direction, fat loss or muscle gain, then that's fine. But I think a lot of people were like, would see really, really positive, really great changes at maintenance for six months, hypertrophy style training, and, and not just see great changes, but it would be an amazing life that you would lead because you wouldn't be gaining body fat that maybe you're self-conscious about and you don't really want to do, and you wouldn't be really hungry and not enjoying life in a deficit. And so we do need to factor in what are the physiological uh, goals that I have, what are the aesthetic goals that maybe I have with what sort of lifestyle does that kind of align with? Yeah, and you, you cannot discount the lifestyle factor. I think it goes in a line with like, do I enjoy doing this? But, you know, I'm sure some of your clients are tracking and they think it's flexible dieting, but I like to tell people, you don't know flexible until you're living in maintenance when you don't have to pay so much attention. And to me, truly maintenance is this Holy grail. That is a goal. Maintenance is a goal. Number one, <laughs> right? And it's a beautiful place to be. Um, what's your take on maintenance? Why do you think it's great or not great? And let's just talk about it. Yeah. So I, I posted the other day, I think you, I think you even, you, you might've commented or we talked about it offline where it was like, my, one of the biggest wins I can get is to have a client love maintenance so much that they stop so looking forward to cutting. Yeah. I think a lot of the listeners, just people who are in the fitness space um, are a little bit more comfortable with the idea of restriction than we are with the idea of abundance and fueling our body. I mean, I, I, I've never had to convince somebody, nor would I, to cut, but I've had to do a lot of convincing to, hey, let's take a break at maintenance. Let's try and eat more. Let's spend some time really fueling ourselves, you know, allowing ourselves to have the cookie, et cetera. Um, and so I think that that's a way more powerful mindset shift. And if we do look at things from a quality of life perspective, I think um, maintenance is going to be the your best life. I think a surplus is fun, has some pros. I mean, you get a lot of food, you can move to slightly more high calorie foods. It's some fun to being in a surplus, but when we look at the overall life, being able to maintain your physique, fuel really well, not be starving all the time is, is an amazing, amazing place. Um, but it's also, 
I mean, it's important for a lot of reasons. It's important because, you know, if you look at our weight regain statistics as a, as a nation, as a world, like they're abysmal, whether you want to throw out a, a terribly not true statistic of 95% of people regain the weight, which is not true. Um, whatever this, the real statistics are, they're abysmal. Why are they so bad? They're not bad because we suck at losing weight. We're very good at losing weight. We're just pretty shit at keeping weight off. Um, and so I think that as a coach, making the weight maintenance period post calorie deficit phase, um, have an equal, if not greater importance is, is one of the biggest things that we can do as a coach. I think if you, you know, if every person who ever tried to lose weight had a coach that was very much emphasizing the maintenance phase afterwards, we'd see those statistics be a lot better. Um, and so that's where I think people go awry. I think we're really good. I think restriction comes naturally, unfortunately, you know, we've been told that that's the route that we either for a very, large number of reasons we are more comfortable with restriction than we are with abundance and so spending more time with people focusing on that whether that's prior to earning the right to calorie deficit by having a period of maintenance i think which i think is a great idea or practicing it during your deficit via taking diet breaks and maintenance phases or just focusing on a, a you know a, a reverse diet slash maintenance phase afterwards where you actually get yourself back to what your life should look like for the rest of your life and i think that 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 is uh, of extreme importance. Losing weight doesn't matter. It's about being able to like transition to a life that you enjoy for the, for the rest of your life. Absolutely. So, um, gosh, there's two points I want to talk about there. I wrote this down. I've never had to convince someone to cut, right? We aren't wired that way. If you, we told someone, yeah, you need to do all these workouts and then you need to cut it down to this many calories. Like, okay, coach. Yeah. But all of a sudden you tell them to, okay, you need to take two rest days and you need to eat 2000 calories a day, like, whoa, uncomfortable. It's just interesting. I just hope people are catching on to that. Why am I okay with that? But I'm not okay with that. Food for thought. Now, yeah, I think if you hold on, if you sit, I just agree with you 100%. If you sit with that emotion of like, it's pretty, it's pretty messed up. It's pretty messed up that like, it's pretty messed up that we're more comfortable with the restriction than we are with the abundance. And, 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 and that's, that's something that I just, I, I don't know, a lot of the perspective building for me thinks about like the kind of person that I would want to be proud of in the future. And I'm like, well, I, that doesn't sound like something I would want my children to feel or that I would want myself to feel in relation to like, when I look back when I'm 90 years old and I was like, I was like really attached to restriction. It just doesn't sound like something that's going to lead to my best life. It does not. And I say this um, all the time. So I'm, I'm now in my mid forties and I'm like, I do not want to be that woman who is 60, 70, still chasing something because it happens, Jordan. I mean, I don't know if you work with the women that age. I don't really work with that many women that age, but they're still out there trying to do this. And it just like breaks my heart. Please tell me this is not what we're destined for. No, it's well said. And and it, it, it breaks my heart as well. I think that there's just, I mean, your goal should be to get to, uh, and again, I, starting a sentence with your goal should be, I don't get to decide, but if I, you know, if I could, I would want people to be aimed at a lifestyle they enjoy in a body they enjoy. And that's going to be, uh, you know, we have to admit that those two things are pulling from the same resources. If you want the greatest lifestyle you could ever have with all the food you could ever eat and, and be out and socialize 24 seven. Okay. Then maybe that, that sort of lifestyle would lead to, you know, a different body, let's say. It's about finding what is that balance for you. And it's what is the lifestyle you want to lead that allows you to live it in a body that you enjoy. And those two things are a little bit at odds and they take 
taking trades from one another. And I guarantee you that balance is not single digit body fat percentage. You know, the, the balance of the best life you can lead in the body that you enjoy is probably a couple pounds higher with a couple hundred more calories uh, with a couple, you know, a, a couple percentage more flexibility. I mean, that is probably the life that more people want to live. And your pursuit should be, how can I maintain a body that, that I enjoy that allows me to do the things I'd like to do with as little effort as possible? Yes. Not no effort because it will take effort, but yeah, as little sustainable effort. This is great. So you mentioned uh, reverse dieting. What, what's your approach with reverse dieting? Um, do you go a little more quickly or are you slow? Yeah, there's, um, there's, there are the scientific facts and then there are real people. Yeah. And my, the end of getting your client to actually get to maintenance is the number one goal. Um, and so we need to reconcile what the facts are with how can we take that and get people to actually do it. And so the facts, let's say, are that there's really no benefit physiologically to going slowly. There's none. There's no like physiological advantage. You're not boosting something or or enhancing something or hacking something, you could just jump right back to maintenance. Now, the problem is in that moment, you're not really sure where it is. You've been deficiting maybe for a while. You are in a smaller body potentially. And so there's, you're not really sure. Maybe you didn't even find out where maintenance was in the first place. And so you're not really, you're like, okay, just jump back to maintenance. Well, Jordan, I don't really know where that is. And so now we have the science of like, we'll just go back to maintenance with the real life kind of issue of, I'm not really sure where that is. Um, and so there are going to be people out there who insist on going slow. Now, if you are out there and you have a, you have a history, you have an experience yourself of going slow and being successful, that's freaking awesome because you actually got there. Like there's a whole host of people who didn't reverse and didn't get to maintenance and didn't maintain it. And so for you, if going slow worked, that's awesome. I would say, or science would say you wasted some time in this, you know, 50 calories a week process and you could have jumped and you could have felt better sooner and all of that stuff. But as an end goal, if you actually get there, I'm so happy for you. And so I, I usually don't demand a client jump back to maintenance. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I think that science would say, go ahead and do that. But I also think there's a practical benefit of listening to the client, seeing what they're uh, a little nervous about, seeing what their inhibitions are, and maybe finding a nice balance between not going too slow and not going so fast that maybe you overshoot it. And maybe you, at the end of the day, I need the client to succeed. I need them to get there. I need them to stay there. And so it's definitely on a client to client basis, but I would say that on a, uh, as like a, a jumping off point, I would usually do some sort of estimate of where their new maintenance is, which is some combination of some calculations that not fancy calculations. You can find them on the internet, TDE calculator, precision nutrition has a calculator with my own intuition, yeah. with a look at the data and you can combine all of that and say, it's probably in this range over here. And so maybe you're at, you put some numbers on it. Maybe you've, you've been dieting at 1500 calories and we think it's in the 2000 ish range, 2100 ish range. And so let's, let's make a big enough jump close to that, that it at least is meaningful enough to make you feel really good. Yeah. And then if we want to go slow there, I think that that can be totally fine. Again, no advantage, but I will, let's use it hard numbers. Let's say you were at 15. I would probably jump somebody to like 18 to 2000 mm -hmm. where that's enough that it will meaningfully from a lifestyle perspective, feel really good. Maybe it's that, maybe it's a, an extra serving of pasta or it's, you know, you know, not having a glass of wine, or maybe it's just larger portions. Um, it's meaningful enough that you'll feel good. Uh, it's calorically and physiologically meaningful enough that you'll also feel better, but maybe it's not our end goal. And maybe we'll tiptoe from there, but the really, really slow reverse diets kind of kill me because I think that you could at least accomplish, um, 
some balance between not going super fast and potentially overshooting with mm-hmm. without going, you know, spending six extra weeks in the deficit when you yeah. could have just jumped at least made a big jump out of the way. Yeah, I really just wanted to get your take on it too, because initially I, in the past, I've gone pretty slowly, but then I just feel like it just gets dragged out forever. And like, well, now you got to stay here for a while. I'm like, but in my own personal experience, my first one was super slow, but the last two after that would were big jumps and like nothing changed. You know what I mean? Like from a physique standpoint, I was like, oh no, this is the way I want to start doing it now because your body is so smart. Your body's going to figure out what to do with those extra macros or calories. And I also find too, just for clients, even those small adjustments are really hard in the beginning too. So it's like, you know, 50 calories a week, what's that worth even logging? And at that point in time, they're done, like they want to be done logging their food. So people then in my experience, they fall off. Like, I just got sick of tracking. I'm like, well, you're, this is the most important time for you to track. <laughs> so I just want to get your two yeah. cents on that. No, I agree. And then, but there's a, there's a flip side of the person who's like, yeah, you know, I put my TDE calculator, it said 2,200. And then when I went, when I jumped all the way up there, I lost a little bit of control because of this whole new freedom. And I, you know, I started making maybe poorer choices. And so we, we have to reconcile those two things. You were successful with your slow diet. Now you look back and say, well, maybe I could have been equally successful in less time and felt better. Um, and so you're gonna have clients across that whole spectrum. And, and I would recommend not going as slow as possible. But if you're feeling hesitant, especially the first time, like you, you, there's a confounding variable of you having done this already now that now you've done it already. And so, you know, and so if somebody's never done it and they are convinced and afraid of going fast then okay, like as long as we're not going so slow that we drag this out into a point where we increase the chance of you falling off, then I'm okay with it. Yeah. You know, what's so interesting is I actually found, I used to do these Facebook live videos when people were studying, still doing Facebook lives instead of Instagram and it was from 2018. I was in month 10 of my reverse diet coming off of like competition stuff. And I had just like made it to like 230 grams of carbs. And my coach had told me I need to add some more. So I'm being vulnerable, right? I'm talking about this process because in 2018, people were talking about it, but not as much as they are now. And I get to the point about the mental aspect of it, right? I'm sure you see clients that are straight up like they're so resistant to eating more food and we're so scared. And I, I start to cry in this video and it's so powerful for me to watch that now because it puts me back in that time when I didn't know, like there were so many question marks. I had never done this before, but now, you know, I forget what it's like. God, why can't you just eat more food? So, you know, the empathy sometimes goes away, but I have to remember that's a really scary thing for clients. So how do you have that conversation? I'm assuming your clients are sometimes scared as well. How do you, how do you handle that conversation? I'm like, Jordan, 10 more carbs. I just, I'm scared. Yeah. And the people are scared. People are nervous. People, especially they've just lost weight. They don't want to gain it back. They don't want to go back to where they were. There's a fear of like being in a place they once were. Um, They'd like to re-solidify their identity here. Mm -hmm. Um, I, my brain works extremely logically. And so I'm not saying that we're only going to lead with, with logic here, but I'm not gonna say we're only going to lean on logic, but we're going to lead with logic. And so let's say we make that big jump and you're pushing calories up a little bit and you have a client who's afraid of the next jump up. Let's say, um, honestly, let's say, you know, our maintenance is, our, our maintenance is arranged. Our metabolism is flexible at any given body weight and activity level. So let's say 
you're floating around a number that might be maintenance, but your coach wants you to go up even higher. You're a little bit nervous. You're like, I'm already eating a decent amount. Like, well, the, I'm not trying to be into a surplus here. Mm-hmm. You know, these calorie jumps are, are so not consequential. Like, let's say you, you're at your maintenance, what you think is maintenance. I have so many clients in this position. If you are listening to this and you are at maintenance, you have a responsibility to make that a pursuit of the highest end of your maintenance. Like, you don't stop at like the, this is what the calories calculator said. No, we should be finding out what is the most you could eat at this body weight and activity level and stay the same weight. That's where you have the best muscle growth. That's where you have the best sleep. That's where you have the best recovery. That's where you have the best lifestyle. And so being at maintenance is synonymous with pursuing the upper end of maintenance. And so let's say that's the that's the place you're in where you're like, um, you're ballparking at maintenance, but like your coach is trying to push you a little bit higher because inevitably that's where like, I sweat he's like, that's where 50% of my clients are at this point. Um, Good and- job coach. Well, there's a hesitation, of course, because they're like, well, I'm close, right? And I'm like, yeah, you're close, but like, why not go higher? And the uh-huh. obvious answer is, well, like, well, I don't want to go into a surplus. And so just take this, take this, imagine you are at the upper end of your maintenance calories. We don't know it, but we're pursuing finding out. Um, and your coach raises your calories by 100, a 100 calorie surplus. Imagine every single calorie that, that we add is a surplus. And that's the worst case scenario because it's very unlikely that that's the case. But let's say you are at the peak of your maintenance and we go 100 over that and we totally went into a 100 calorie surplus. 100 calorie surplus, you probably gain one pound of fat every 43 days or so. It's not perfect math, but let's use this as a heuristic here of like people know like 3,500 calories for a pound. There's some math that goes into as you gain the weight maintenance goes up so it's like every 40 days you'd gain one pound think about how inconsequential that is it's a negligible it's a, a number you would never even recognize via you know in the face of scale fluctuations and then you have this idea of like okay i gain a pound every 35 40 days but eventually you'll also gain enough weight maybe it's one pound maybe it's two pounds where this becomes your new maintenance again and so i'm raising your calories 100 in the worst case scenario you're going to gain extremely slowly and the absolute amount that you will gain before this becomes your new maintenance is insanely low, maybe three pounds. And so there's just such a low risk attached to these small calorie adjustments that there's such a low risk and such a high reward. What if nothing happens? And P.S. P.S. What if you raise your calories by 100 and you gain one pound, another calorie, another 100 calories, one pound, another 100 calories? Well, this is a hypothetical. It might not work that way. But what if I tr- ask you, you can eat 300 more calories per day. You're going to weigh three pounds more. P.S some percentage of that is just glycogen and stomach content anyway. Like if I could have 500 more calories a day and eat five, and yeah, five, carry five more pounds of weight, which PS most of which is not fat anyway, wouldn't you take that? And so there's all of this scenario of like, you're what you're like, your weight's going to, maybe your weight goes up, but you're, that is, can't be the only thing we're focused on. You get to eat more. Like, look at this pro let's at least weigh the two. Oh, Yes. We need to tell that to everyone every day over and over. <laughs> and then there's the, the then there's the, uh, yeah, I don't know. Then, then there's a much, much, much deeper conversation here of, of why do we need to be so lean? And why is this something that we're so emotionally attached to? And I, and I, I hate the, to lead the logic, but I just wanted to bring the, the roof down a little bit on how consequential any of these slight calorie adjustments. It's not like you go up hundred calories and you gain fat into oblivion. And so, and so let's just bring the, 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 the house down a little bit on that and make it feel a little less consequential. And then let's turn our head to like, why is that? Why would that be the end of the world? How would your life change three to five pounds heavier? Like inevitably it wouldn't. And so we, we do. Yeah. I feel, I feel like we just went on a a long logical rant without at least kind of having that discussion a little. Yeah. 
Well, I mean, and, and that's really, that's what it boils down to, too. It, why does, why is our, so much of our worth tied up in the way that we look and, you know, nutrition coaching, as much science, as much science is involved, <laughs> it's, you know, it's a lot of empathy and psychology as well. I'd rather get, I have a lot of my, my coaching has me as I have evolved, not, not, I'm not giving myself a lot of like credit here, but I just, I just seen myself change where, um, a successful fat loss, fat loss phase is super cool, but having a client come to me with the goal of fat loss and actually get to a point where that's not their goal anymore is way more important. I think losing fat is fine. It's mm-hmm. totally independently. There's nothing I could say. You can't do that. Like, but taking a client who really, really wants to lose fat, really, really wants to lose fat and getting them to a point where they really, really don't care as much about being their leanest is a way bigger transformation in my eyes. Mm-hmm. And something that I feel is just a way better gift to give a client. Absolutely. I mean, I talk a lot about mental health on this podcast. I, I'm not a therapist, but I am therapist's biggest fan. And yes, there's just so much tied up into an energy in how do I look and what does that mean? And yeah, interesting, yeah. Jordan. Yeah. Well, you are, I mean, I could talk to you for at least another hour. I won't do that to you. Another Where time. can we find you? How can we work with you? I want to sign up today. Awesome. Uh, I'm, I'm mostly on Instagram uh, at Jordan Lips Fitness. I just got back on Facebook, but let's just temper that for now. Facebook's a scary place. And um, I have my own podcast. It's called Where Optimal Meets Practical. I'm sure it's similar to what you guys discuss. Um, and I love doing that. And if you want to work with me, all the links to all of that are in my bio. Right now, I'm not taking on one-on-one clients, but I have a group training service, which is super, super fun. So if you were intrigued at all by the hypertrophy slash muscle building slash resistance training part of this discussion. That's a lot of what we focused on there. I take people who are relative beginners and and try and teach them as a group. Um, And it's been a a ton of fun. So all of that's in my bio. With, with that programming, um, is it like six weeks that you do a program or is it different from time to time? What's it look like? Yeah, it's um, so it's an ongoing thing. So you'll sign up and jump in where the group is. It's not like you buy the program and then it gets delivered and you do it on your own. It's everybody going through it at the same time. Mm-hmm. And so those mesocycles or blocks of training are in the four to six week range. Um, and they are hypertrophy focused. Um, we do change things up as much as changing things up is needed. And we do a group Zoom every week. And so there's a lot of education attached to that. We have a lot of uh, a lot of discussion in the group. And so there's a lot of fun learning. I'm blown away by how much fun it's been so far. Yeah, I love the group environment. I love group coaching because each person, you know, brings their own experience and perspective and we can all learn from each other. And the struggles that we talked about, I think when we talk about them and you're like, yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm so afraid of this too. And I'm afraid of it too, but we can get through it together. Like, I know it sounds cheesy, but it's so powerful. I agree. I thought it would be, che- I, I thought the cheesiness and I was totally wrong. It was, it was, it was, it's been the best. It's been awesome. Yeah. It makes, it makes your coaching easy um, and fun. Well, I mean, I'm grateful for you. Thanks for these things like that. I had never thought of before these little perspectives. I can't wait to share this with everyone. Um, awesome. Thanks yeah. so much for having me. Yeah, my pleasure. And I will talk to you very soon. All righty. Have a good one. You too. Wow. What an amazing episode with Jordan. You guys make sure you check Jordan out on Instagram. His handle is at Jordan Lips Fitness and he's got 
full gym programming with his hypertrophies program. He's got his at-home programming with home bodies. He offers group coaching. He's got his own podcast as well. It's called Where Optimal Meets Practical. And as you can see, he has tons of knowledge to share. If you guys are interested in doing my program, we have another round that's going to be starting on March 14th. So you can sign up for the wait list right now, depending on when you listen to this episode. And you can always find out more details at lift to get lean with Kylie.com. Until next time, bye bye.